0: Hillsborough was kind of this this half-finished, beautiful landscape painting that was just waiting for somebody to come in and finish it off. That started with the literary folks. The writers were the first to discover this. And then they were followed in this slow kind of organic way by other creative people but also by people who saw the potential of this place. And it wasn't all, it's not all artists and musicians, by any stretch. It's people with a vision for a community that works, that is disappearing from the American landscape.
1: In a world of boom burbs and generic downtowns, Hillsborough, North Carolina stands apart. It's cohesive, walkable, it's streets lined with 250 years of architectural styles. The town has gone from sleepy to vibrant in the last 20 years. This is a place where one of the most popular tattoos is 27278, the local zip code. Journalist Bob Burtman lives and works there and keeps a watchful eye for storm clouds on the town's horizon. He is president of the community radio station, WHUP, and is looked to as an eagle-eyed town observer.
0: As part of my show on WHUP, I'll have guests from the community, and I'll always ask them, why are you here? You could be anywhere. And the answer so consistently is, well, I know somebody who said you should check this out. Or we were just exploring the area, and we got to Hillsboro, and there was something about it. Just felt something, this light bulb moment, or there was a palpable feel to it. And I know what they're talking about because I can feel it too. I feel it every day. And if you're tuned in, if you're aware of it, if you're looking for it, you will feel it.
1: Welcome to 27 Views, the podcast where we talk to some of our favorite writers in the American South. Here we explore what it means to live in and write about this corner of the country. From the north banks of the Eno River in Hillsborough, North Carolina, I'm your host, Elizabeth Woodman. Today we visit with Bob Burtman. Bob moved to Hillsboro after leaving his reporting job at a Texas newspaper. He had previously lived in the area, but in Durham. This time he was drawn to Hillsboro. Yes, the town was experiencing increasingly busy traffic, but it wasn't just car traffic. We're talking pedestrians. People walking to the office, the grocery store, the post office, the hardware store. Or they were sitting and visiting at outdoor cafes. Or strolling along the popular river walk or other local trails. The air is filled with voices, buskers, train whistles. When we asked Bob to contribute an essay to our anthology, 27 Views of Hillsboro, a small southern town in prose and poetry, he explored what the town did or did not do, intentionally or not, to be what it is today. We visited with Bob in the WHUP studios to talk to him about life in Hillsborough, ignored for years by realtors and developers, which ended up preserving its charm and livability for contemporary residents. Bob read from and discussed his story, Identity Crisis.
0: cautionary note in Hillsborough's Sweet Symphony, the town has evolved into its present vital self as much by accident as design, shielded from the ravages of growth and homogenization by a confluence of circumstances that had more to do with luck than intent, like a turtle that manages to cross the interstate and finds itself in a reptilian Shangri-La. What Hillsborough offers is by no means unique, though it has become increasingly hard to find. Even first-time visitors intuitively grasp the sense of place that defines the town. In Hillsborough, the components of place history, architecture, topography, culture, people interconnect in a powerful, even palpable way. Call it community, though that term has lost much of its meaning in a virtual age of balkanized subcultures and micro-interests. There's a better word. Identity. The components that comprise identity exist everywhere, but in much of the United States they become fragmented and dissociated from each other. In that respect, Hillsborough less resembles a contemporary American town than a venerable European village or rural New England borough, where personal identity is inseparably intertwined with place and where the collective desire to preserve local identity and build upon its foundation is the epoxy that binds everything together. What sets Hillsboro apart from similarly rooted bergs that have been around for a couple of centuries is the pace and direction of change in recent years. The town has officially been on the map since 1766, a typical sleepy North Carolina whistle-stop for the bulk of its existence, run by a succession of small pond, big fish, who were born and raised within a few miles of the courthouse. In the early 1970s, many of the downtown storefronts were vacant and remained that way off and on for more than two decades, as the surviving retailers hobbled along, one cavernous tyrannous store away from the grave. The tyrannous store finally came in 2003, and another one shortly after that. But by then, the town had gone retro, Back to a time when residents traded with downtown merchants as a matter of course. When hometown pride meant more than a championship high school sports team or a local boy made good, where people hit the streets at all hours, engaged. The people whose aggregate vision had transformed Hillsboro, the old-timers who weathered the static times along with the transplants, who had moved there partly on faith, had somehow monkey-wrenched the malevolent machinery of progress. Hillsboro residents aren't in political or ideological lockstep, but the one point on which they seem to universally agree is that they've got something worth holding on to. The unnaturally compressed time frame of the town's reinvention, however, suggests that just as quickly as Hillsboro gained its fresh identity, it can morph back into anywhereville just as
1: fast. It's been, what, about 12 years since you wrote this piece.
0: Gosh, seems like only yesterday. I know, I know.
1: (laughs) I'm wondering, is there more of a crisis now than in the past, do you think?
0: I don't think so. I think, actually, our identity has become better established in the last 12 years. It's still at risk. And I think the thing that I take away rereading that piece and that other people— who have recently read it for the first time, takeaway is that it's still relevant. I think it's still at risk. We still have to be extremely vigilant about all of the things that comprise Hillsborough's identity, the people, the institutions, the small businesses, the historical architecture and sense of place that is so important here, and that really... We have seen around us uh, disappear in so many other communities. And that's where the risk factor comes in. It's hard to be the last domino standing.
1: Whether the dominoes have fallen or are still standing is a matter of opinion. But to be sure, Hillsborough's neighboring towns are considered to be experiencing explosive growth. Or are they? Take Durham, for example, which once had a mostly deserted downtown and is now jammed with people, shops, restaurants, apartments. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, the city's population has grown by 28% over the last 12 years. Chapel Hill, during that same period, has grown by about 5%. Where does Hillsboro land on the growth chart? Hold on to your I Heart Hillsboro hat! The small county seat that not long ago seemed like the town the time had forgotten has grown by 60% in the last 12 years. We're still talking about a population of just under 10,000 souls. But that's some serious growth to absorb and manage. Well, we have experienced a lot of growth, though, in the last seven or eight years with new developments Coming online. Yes, but for the most
0: part, especially the big one, Collins Ridge, has been in the planning stages for several decades. So it's not like we are just doing what they do in Raleigh, which is getting proposals for a rezoning from three stories to 40 stories and then approving it and then watching a tower go up, or like they're doing in Durham. You know, the Collins Ridge development was part of a long term plan an infill plan that made a lot of sense using underutilized space close to downtown. And now we are with our long-term sustainability plan, which is another piece of the puzzle that is really incredible that we are undertaking. And it is a collaborative process that is designed. If you think of the definition of the word sustainable to perpetuate what we are and who we are and how we can, maintain the identity that we have and retain those things that are so important and essential to that identity. That's sustainability in a nutshell in the big picture. It doesn't mean building green buildings. It means retrofitting. It means helping residents who live in deteriorating housing, upfit their homes and insulate their homes and repair their homes then you have an environmental benefit and you also have a benefit to those homeowners who then can stay where they are. And affordable housing is not building new housing. That's the least affordable way to increase the affordable housing stock is to try and build new affordable housing. So increasing density as a way of alleviating our affordable housing problem has not worked anywhere else. And yet we are contemplating that. But if you look at sustainability from a comprehensive standpoint, which the town is doing, then you factor all these things in together. And collaboration is the way that we can survive and succeed. So that's a big way that we are proactively defining our future.
1: Why were there so many years in the 70s, 80s, 90s when Hillsborough was basically overlooked?
0: Well, I think it was just a stroke of good fortune driven by several factors. It wasn't that interesting. You know, you'd come downtown and there would be one or two restaurants and everything would be closed by six or seven o'clock. It was a typical sleepy southern small town. It didn't seem especially welcoming. Didn't seem all that exciting or interesting. So where would you go? You would go to a more urban area if you were a younger person, and the drain from the small towns all around the hubs of the Triangle, Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill was something that a lot of small towns experienced. The brain drain, the drain of younger people leaving, and only the older folks remaining, and Hillsborough kind of resembled that in a little bit of a way, but... It was just this beautiful, wonderful, amazing place that people simply hadn't discovered yet. The frenetic pace of growth inexorably altered or destroyed the fundamental character of cities and towns throughout the triangle, sweeping in every direction and metastasizing like a malignant tumor. Hillsborough has bucked this trend, though to say bucked is misleading as it implies a conscious series of actions and a common purpose that have guided the town's destiny. In fact, Hillsborough's fortunes have largely rested on forces beyond its control. As the Triangle entered its period of interstellar growth, Hillsborough should have been a likely target for the flood of refugees, land and historic downtown properties were relatively cheap with no shortage of willing sellers. The proximity to two interstate highways and easy access to the Research Triangle Park employment hub offered the perfect suburban commute. But two primary factors steered development elsewhere. The first was a matter of reputation. Not Hillsborough's, but
1: Durham's. I wanna to interrupt to tell our readers about a night 12 years ago when Bob and some other authors were reading short snippets of their pieces from the newly published anthology, 27 Views of Hillsboro. Much to our surprise, we drew a standing room only crowd at The Regulator, a Durham bookstore. As I watched Bob walk to the podium, I suddenly thought, oh God, no. He's not gonna read that part about Durham, is he? Of course he read that part the audience jumped to their feet and cheered wildly.
0: The city that sits between Hillsborough and the Triangle's axis was perceived in some circles as a dangerous hellhole of crime and poverty, largely due to its substantial politically active Black population that evoked the worst fears of the new arrivals, Durham's notoriety, which persists to this day, was famously fueled by real estate agents who steered prospective homebuyers to Cary and other allegedly safer locales. Hillsborough, hidden behind Durham from the rest of the triangle like a moon in eclipse, never registered on the development radar screen, even as the area's construction boom reached its peak in the late 1980s and 1990s. Many immigrants did find their way to Chapel Hill, which, like Hillsboro, is located in Orange County and is home to the University of North Carolina's flagship campus. A classic college town with high property values, Chapel Hill features the usual cultural amenities in a small town environment. Chapel Hill also has a highly regarded public school system that has long been a deciding factor for relocating families willing to pay a premium for a top-notch education. Hillsboro, however, is in a separate county school system, a relic of the dual city-county structure that used to be the norm in North Carolina, but gradually has given way elsewhere to unified school districts. The Orange County system, though ranking favorably among school districts in the state, was nevertheless perceived as second-rate in comparison. So while Hillsboro would have been a natural spillover option for those who preferred to live in a less urban area like Chapel Hill, relatively few ventured across district lines. Hillsborough has now generated sufficient buzz as a premier place to live in the triangle to overcome those barriers. But a key obstacle to growth remains, the lack of water. Even with the construction of a new reservoir in the 1990s, the town's water capacity will be maxed out with the approval of just a few major projects.
1: By any measure, Durham has experienced remarkable growth, with many of its once-empty downtown buildings now revitalized. Others, unfortunately, have fallen victim to the wrecking ball. Hillsborough's downtown has remained largely intact. And all conversations about the borough eventually come around to a much-beloved local institution, the hardware store. It's an eclectic one-of-everything shop where you can find the usual nuts and bolts, as well as locally made front porch rockers, sun hats, coveralls. But merchandise is just part of the story.
0: One thing that separates Hillsboro from other communities, you have these natural tensions between people moving here, which you might call New South, and the folks who have been here, for a long time, which you might call Old South. And sometimes those tensions boil over, politically or culturally. And we have you know some tensions along those lines still, but in a remarkable way, we have a blending of those two things where each of those elements, very broadly defined, appreciates what the other one is bringing to the table. The history, the Old South part, the traditions, the institutions like dual supply, right? And it is one of those old school hardware stores that are disappearing also at a rapid rate, but that still exists here and is really a symbol of the town and what preservation looks like, not just from a building standpoint, but from a community standpoint and a business standpoint and a personal standpoint. Those are the same folks who have been there for forever. It's a family enterprise, and it's the kind of place you walk in there, you could get lost in there. Just looking at all the stuff that's been around there for years and years and the character of it, you can't ever replace that. They still do the old-fashioned charge accounts. They keep them in a file drawer, and if you have an account there, they'll pull your card out and write down Your charge, and then once a month you can go back in, or when you can afford to pay it off, you go in and you pay. Still mostly a cash business, although they have gotten modern and take credit cards now. It has that character that is so essential to the town's identity. Again, back to that word. And it is Old South. And yet they appreciate that we are here doing something completely different than has ever happened previously, there was never a radio station in this town. And they were originally skeptical when we proposed this. But also the businesses, the bars in town and the music and the coffee shop and all those things, the folks at Dual Supply will acknowledge how much additional business comes in their doors because of foot traffic. People are out and about walking around in this town. It's almost European in that way. And so these places are thriving, they're successful. And that's the new part, people who want to be out and about. And so those two things are blended together in a way that's actually working, where very often one resists the other, pushes the other out, whatever it may be, where the tensions result in a loss of some kind. Americans have embraced transience as a kind of lifestyle, cutting themselves off from place and community, secure in the false promise of instant resurrection at the next destination. Some are fortunate enough to find home again, but most never do. The consequences of losing our place in the world are isolation, alienation, and fear. Hillsboro, contrarian in trumpeting the value of place has withstood hurricane-force winds that have pushed the triangle toward identity oblivion. Here's hoping the same can be said down the road.
1: We have been visiting with journalist Bob Burtman. He has been reading and discussing his essay, Identity Crisis, which was featured in 27 Views of Hillsborough, an anthology published by Eno Publishers. A veteran investigative journalist and radio DJ, Bob, for the last eight years, has combined his passion for both as co-founder and president of WHUP, a community radio station in Hillsborough. He hosts the station's local news show five mornings a week, as well as a Sunday night music show. Bob's early career revolved around jobs, such as writing music reviews that provided free LPs. Eventually, he became a full-time journalist at the Independent Weekly in Durham, now called Indie Week. From there, he went on to the Houston Press, where he won numerous state and national honors for his long-form stories about criminal justice, the environment, local politics, and people behaving badly. His freelance work has appeared in The Nation, Mother Jones, and other publications. When interest in local and regional journalism began to wane, Bob turned his focus to investigative research for private clients. When not at the WHUP studios, he can often be found kicking back and listening to music from his record collection, which reflects his longtime obsession with vinyl. If you would like to hear Bob read his entire essay, Identity Crisis from 27 Views of Hillsborough, you can find a link to the recording on our website at EnoPublishers.org. That's EnoPublishers with an S at the end.org. They're on the show notes page for episode 19. You will find the recording as well as more information about Bob and about this podcast. 27 Views is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Woodman. That's me. Editing and mixing supervision are by Mark Maximoff. Executive producers are Laura Lacey, Elizabeth Benfey, and Ezra Rawich. Music for this episode is entitled Riverside Drive by Northside. It's available on Epidemic Sound, and you can find a link to it on our website. 27 Views theme music is from the composition called Quarry in the Meadow, written and performed by Bruno Luchron. Please join us next time for more stories and voices of the South on the 27 Views podcast.